my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Black Gay Diaspora podcast. Today I am joined by a Philadelphia-based American author, national speaker, and co-host of the Boyfriends podcast, Jared D. King. The podcast tagline is find your circle and your man. I love that. (laughs) And for each episode, Jared and his co-hosts share their insights and experiences in relation to friendships and dating. Jared is a graduate of Temple University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and with a focus on creating LGBT characters of color, he's the author of the 2016 sci-fi fantasy novel titled, what is that, Pangea? Pangea. Pangea, thank you, Unsettled Uh Land, (laughs) and the 2020 novel, The Auto Octorati. I should have done a test from. These fantasy names are crazy, so don't worry about it. Um, So... I look forward to conversing with Jared and learning more about his life as a Black gay professional in the city of brotherly love. Hey, Jared, and welcome. How are you? I am well. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. I'm excited to talk with you today. Um, Looking forward to this conversation. Oh, same here. Same here. Yeah, it's great to talk to a fellow person in this world of podcasting. As I was waiting for us to start recording, I was just thinking, I guess just to ask you, how do you prepare? Because for me, this feels like a stage performance every time. It's like, which is a good sign. It's like, if I have butterflies in my stomach, then I know that I'm really excited for the interview. Yeah, no, it definitely feels that way when I'm preparing for my own stuff. It's like, I have to make sure I look good. And I do like a, an in-person video podcast now, so... I have to have my camera set up and everything. So it's a lot. And coming back off of a hiatus for a few months, the butterflies are pretty big because, you know, with social media, if you're not consistent like every day, if you're not seen, people don't remember you that much. And so I was like, okay, can I get the momentum back? I seem to be getting the momentum back a little bit. So hopefully... Hopefully I'm still in a good spot. Well, you've been around for a while and, you know, I've seen a few of your episodes and also listened to them and... I think people are looking forward to the content that you put out there, especially because you talk about things that we all think about and relate to as far as friendships and dating. So, yeah, but I get it. I get it. So you're based in Philadelphia. I am. I was born and raised here in Philly. I've been here my whole life. You know, it's a great city. There's always something to do out here. I mean, I guess like with my work, with my podcast and everything, and just trying to find, like find my circle, I have gained a better appreciation for being here. Because I know at one point it was very much like, I don't know if Philly's the place for me. And it's been good. Eventually I would like to move somewhere warm, but I'll take it for now. (laughs) Have you lived in any other places as an adult? No, I've moved to a suburb of Philly for a couple of years, but same general area, so not really. The only thing I know about Philadelphia, two former co-workers, I lived in LA for a long time, and I know one, he moved there a few years ago, he met a girl there, 
then recently found out a former coworker who's gay. He actually just moved there not too long ago, also through a relationship. Very cool. Very cool. And then I also know because I have family in Maryland. And when my dad was alive, I used to rent a car and drive up from Maryland to New York to see more family. And I was always told, whatever you do, don't turn left because you'll end up in Philly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not the wrong turn scenario. It's not quite that bad. But yeah, it's interesting to know that, you know, there are so many different connections that a lot of people have that kind of like run through Philly um, and even with your connections as well. Yeah, I definitely look forward to visiting it. Well, look, when you come out here, let me know. You know, we'll have to grab a drink or something. Okay. (laughs) I also wanted to say I really like your hair. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) I, I was skeptical when I first did it like this, but after all the compliments and stuff, I'm like, all right. I think I'm going to stick with this for a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. And for me, because I've been back and forth and growing my hair out for the last few years, and now I'm committed to growing it out. I know with the look that I want. So it's really great to see more of us Black men who are discovering what our hair looks like. We hear that from Black women, of course, but I didn't really know my hair really until I started growing it out a few years ago. And just seeing curls like yours or even my own. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Where are you in Switzerland? Uh, Sweden. I was in the UK for almost six months when I just got back here last Wednesday. Okay. Now, is it difficult to maintain your hair or like to find people to help you with your hair care in Sweden as a Black man? Or is it like still pretty diverse? It's not as diverse, of course, in the States. But yeah, actually yesterday, a friend of mine, Teresa, she's Black. She just gave me some products. So no, it's not difficult here. What I found here in Europe is that wherever I've gone, except for one country, there's Black people. And, you know, if there's Black people, I know there's hair care in a barbershop somewhere. And if there's not, I don't have a problem grabbing them and saying, please help me. (laughs) (laughs) As you know, that's important. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I was on your website, jaredking.com, and I saw that you used to watch Scooby-Doo. And I wanted to ask you about that. No judgment, of course. But like, uh, why was that cartoon really important to you? And then also, did you relate to a particular character? I didn't really relate to any particular character. I think for me, it was just kind of, I looked up to my older brother when I was really young, and he liked to watch Scooby-Doo, so I just kind of fell into it. And then watching it, because the formula is very repetitive after each episode, you know, you run around, find clues, and unmask the bad guy. It kind of gave me a framework of how a story should be told, or at least one version of a story could be told. And I always had an interest in writing from very young, and so that was one of the things that helped me craft a story early on. I think, like, one of the first full stories that I wrote was heavily influenced by Scooby-Doo because it was just like, okay, let me just follow that formula and put my own characters and put my own stuff in here. And yeah, from there, I just continued writing and being creative. You mentioned writing, and then in the bio, I mentioned that you went to Temple University. So what's your educational and professional background? Educational background is English. Okay. So a lot of reading and writing there. I did not want to be a teacher, which is what I soon learned was what everybody that gets an English degree does. 
So I had to be a little bit more creative. So professionally, I kind of stepped into SEO, search engine optimization, and like copywriting. And that was really fueled by this fashion blog that I had done back in, I want to say like 2011 through like 2013, something like that. And that helped me learn how to build a website and how to do all of the backend stuff so that it gets searchable on Google. That led me into a professional position at one place. And then now I am at a different company where I do copy editing. So using a lot of those skills, steadily trying to find my own path with my educational background has been a little bit of an adventure, but it's been it's been good. I know that Tiffin University has a really good reputation. How was it there for you? Temple itself was good. I will say curriculum-wise, it is a little bit difficult. When I was there, they were calling it the five-year school. Like anybody who goes to Temple graduates not in four years, but in five years, because there's always something that comes up. But I did not really engage in the social aspect of college life. And I think that that was due to just me kind of keeping my head down and just not trying to ruffle any feathers. Like that had just been my mode since middle school, just some issues with friends and like my father and trying to figure out my sexuality. And I was just like, you know, I can't do people getting on me for being different. And so from high school through college, I was just like, let me just do, let me just do the academic thing. And, you know, I kind of wish that I had broken out of my shell a little bit earlier because I feel like my issues with finding friends and stuff would not have been as challenging after college. But I don't know. I mean, I guess that was kind of my path and that kind of led me to where I am now, especially with this podcast, kind of talking about how to find other people that you're connected with, whether that is romantic or platonic. I can definitely relate. Yeah, it's such a familiar story. And I can kind of feel the emotion when you were sharing that just based on my own experiences. Were you out at that time? Or were you aware of that part of yourself as far as being gay? Uh, Yeah, I was out. I've been out since I was 17. I think I came out like, maybe the last week that I had of high school left. So I was out all through college. And I even joined like the Gay Straight Alliance at Temple. Hmm. But it was just one of those things where it's like, I don't know exactly what to do with it. And I was trying to figure that out. There was one friend that I had made, but it wasn't the type of person for me. And so I wasn't really able to explore the gay scene quite as much as I had wanted to, just because I really didn't have an anchor there to kind of help me through it. I wasn't out in college, but we talk about the coming out, but there's it's much more nuanced than that. Even though that's something that we relate to, there's still our own backgrounds as far as our family, who we are, what our interests are. And so I know for me, when I did come out, it was like, oh, I'm out. Now what? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> it's like you get past the hurdle of coming out. Right. But then it's like, okay, now you have a whole new set of, I don't want to say problems, but a set of challenges 
to work through. Like coming out is really just the beginning of your journey as an individual who wants to kind of live in their truth. I discovered you not too long after I started this particular platform. So I've been following you pretty much since the beginning. But how did you or what sparked your interest in entering the wonderful world of podcasting? It was at the beginning of the pandemic, 2020, and I was trying to write a sci-fi novel. And it was just like the writer's block was just so strong on that. And I was like, all right, you know what? Let me put this aside. And then after a while, I was just like, okay, I have nothing else to do. Yeah, I was thinking about like trying to be creative, something that I could do to kind of boost myself. So I started a podcast called Boys and Brunch. We did this over Zoom. It was like me and two other guys. We talked about a lot of pop culture issues and a lot of stuff that a lot of those big conversations that people would have on Twitter was what we would talk about on the show. I did that for about a year. And that helped me get used to live streaming and hosting. Um, I mean, I had done some other stuff on YouTube previous to this, but this was more consistent. And this was a very different kind of energy because it was live and we had to answer questions from the audience and all that stuff. But I soon learned in that, that I wanted to focus more on, I guess, just making these connections. I knew that I was not the only one out there who kind of felt like it was difficult to make friends in our community and to even find love. And I wanted to provide a space where we could kind of talk about that and work through some of that stuff. And so, you know, and help people get from a place of isolation to a place of validation. Mm. I wanted people to feel empowered to be able to maybe approach somebody that previously would have been a little bit intimidating and just know that you have the confidence to do that and to handle whatever happens after talking to this person. Maybe you could be friends, maybe it could be something else, or maybe it won't be anything. But, you know, you'll still survive and you'll grow stronger from the experience. And I really practiced, you know, what I've preached. And, you know, I think there's a definite way to increase your satisfaction with your social life. Uh, And so that's kind of what I discussed there. You're humanizing those people that we find attractive demystifying them, which is not taking away from what may be the qualities that you find interesting in them. But yeah, I can say for myself, especially in the beginning, it was like, oh my God, I can't talk to him. He's out of my league. And then having to cycle through, what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, I find that there are a lot of personal blockages that we kind of have to tear down within ourselves That's not to say that there aren't people out there who are very snobby and are very just like all into the surface material, like how the look of everything and won't reject you based off of some very stupid stuff. But I feel like that's a lot fewer and far between than we expect. We had kind of talked about this in my last episode that I just aired. It was a topic about breaking into a friend group. One of the co-hosts was talking about how you always see those group of guys, they all look alike. They all just kind of want to 
be with a certain look of people and they won't really let anybody else into their little group. Mm -hmm. And my response to that was, yes, that does happen. But I think if you and your friends or if me and my friends were to be out and about, somebody else could absolutely have that opinion of us and that would not be true at all. So it's really about finding your own self-confidence and really just putting aside some of the social failures that you've had, pushing ahead and just being like, hey, what's going on, y'all? I'd even done it a couple weekends ago. It was like this group of the people you would expect to just be completely like, oh, why are you even talking to me? Mm -hmm. But you make them feel comfortable in your presence. You don't put a necessity on their interaction. There's no expectation is basically what I'm trying to say. You don't put an expectation out there and you just kind of roll with what they give you. And if they don't give you anything, then you just back off and say, okay, well, it was good to meet you and I'll see you later. It is that simple. But on the other stand, I understand why it's very hard to do that. That's why I try to talk about it a little bit more. Thank you for that episode, because I, I did watch it. And I first was siding with, it was it Noel? And mm, I was like, well, Noel. screw them. <laughs> it feels like you're in the middle of that. But I really like what Renee said, because I've gotten that, because I see myself as shy or more subdued. But I have heard throughout my life that sometimes people are like, oh, I thought you were stuck up. And it's like, oh my God, no, I'm the furthest from that. It's more if I'm probably like paranoid more than anything. But when she <laughs> brought that up or she brought it up being from California, kind of what you just said, it's like sometimes we can present that way too. We're not aware of it. And so I like that the three of you gave three unique perspectives. I was going in with a very set opinion, but as you guys started talking, I was like, oh, okay, this is much more than, than I initially realized. Yeah, you know, I think the thing to remember is that as gay men, there is a common experience that we have. Like everybody on some level kind of feels that way about everybody else. And if we're all kind of like, you ever see that scene in a um, cowboy movie where everybody's like putting the guns at each other? <laughs> and if we're all rolling into the bar and everybody's holding their guns at each other, then it's just like, okay, like let's calm calm down we all have gone through the same thing where we feel like we have to have our guard up a little bit and nine times out of ten that person's gonna be perfectly fine at least having some sort of small interaction as long as you don't put like a whole emphasis on needing something out of this person it might just be as good as oh what do you drink today it looks that looks tasty oh i think i'm gonna get that okay and just leave it there Maybe they'll come back with something and then maybe you can have a little conversation there. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I, <laughs> I'm talking a lot about these little strategies, but that's why I'm passionate about it. And that's why I talk about it a lot on the podcast and have made a whole thing about it. So it's not a personal attack on you because they don't know you and you don't know them. Right. Right. So, you know, Renee is your only female co-host. And if I understand, she's straight identified. She is. How is it having a woman's perspective on your panel and how has it helped you and how you look at life and, and dating? I think her perspective is needed. It just enhances the flavor of the conversation, I think. And it shows that there are a lot of commonalities that people who are attracted to men have. <laughs> 
regardless of gender or sexual orientation. I appreciate her input. I appreciate her humor. I think that it just adds a different layer to the conversation than having all gay men at the table. I have two sisters, but with my female friends, especially, of course, around dating, we, on the surface, are attracted to the same gender. But it is different because even though we're gay, we're still men. Not only there's a lot of things that are uniquely male for us, but it's how we were brought up as boys and men. And what I've learned, with especially with female friends, is like you said, I need to have perspective. And when I hear a woman's perspective, I'm like, oh, okay, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's why I try to keep it even like racially diverse on the show, because I feel like it's interesting to have different perspectives from different lenses, different slices of life. I mean, I think the the more different opinions that we can get, the better the conversation, the more that listeners can get out of it, the more things, you know, that we can hook onto. Maybe somebody won't agree with what I have to say, but maybe someone will agree more with what somebody else has to say. And if, as long as the listener can get something positive out of the conversation, I'm good with that. Yeah. And I think also finding the similarities. I was talking to two Black gay friends, male friends, one is in the UK and one is in the US. And a question came up of, is it harder for us to date as Black men, Black gay men? And I mean, having friends from different backgrounds, we all talk about the same stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Yeah, there's, there's the race component that's a part of it. But I think when we get down to pure dating, it's like we're all challenged in the same way. Yeah, that I would agree with. Yeah, or your visual of us walking in with our guns drawn. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm from Arizona, but I, I moved to L.A. as a young adult, and I came out in L.A., and I first was initially going to mainstream white clubs, and I was like, I'm not really finding my center here. And then mm-hmm. a friend introduced me to black gay clubs, and then I was like, oh, it's going to be automatically, I'm going to find the love of my life. And I was like, no, it's the exact same shit here. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that that visual, like you said, our guns cocked. Yeah. And that was one of the things like I had to kind of back myself up a little bit because there was a moment where I was a little bit upset. I'm like, okay, I'm here. I'm in the black gay clubs. Like I kind of expected an immediate connection and I didn't necessarily get that. And it just taught me that there's a lot that we have in common in dealing with the social aspect of making friends or finding relationships. I did catch one of your older episodes when it was Boys and Brunch. Yes. I really connected to this and what you shared in particular, but the name of the episode was Can Black Gay Men Be Friends? And I wanted to ask you, is there something that you found before you did that episode that has proven that that's more of a challenge for us? Do you remember any points of the conversation, just to kind of jog my memory, because I want to be able to answer this correctly. Well, I think you kind of touched on it and more specifically in that episode that I related to what you shared is that I automatically assume when I found Black gay either clubs or different types of organizations that I would automatically connect. And I felt a lot of times I didn't because, you know, and this is not across the board, but just even outside of that was how I present, how I sound. I've been aware most of my life that some people, they read into that and they assume. For years, I couldn't say the word because I knew it wasn't me. But, you know, they think, oh, you're an Oreo. 
It's like, no, I want to be here with you guys too. And I can't help aspects of my upbringing or where I grew up. This is just a part of who I am, but I, I, I'm one of you too. I think maybe what I was talking about in that episode was part of that issue of growing up in a different area than some others and coming together and being able to accept each other and accept what we both bring to the table. As I'm sure you know, because the title of this podcast is Our Black Gay Diaspora, there are so many different slices of Blackness within our community. It's really just about accepting each other and what we can all bring to the table. I think part of my struggles was, as an adult, trying to find friends, going to different organizational things. You know, they tell you all the time, if you want to make friends, join a club or something or join a social group that doing something that you love to do. I went to writing groups. I went to dancing groups. I did a bunch of other stuff. And there just were not many Black people in there. And if they were there, they were maybe 20, 30 years older than I was. So it's like, where are all the guys like me? One of the things that I've noticed, at least in Philadelphia, is that we just aren't in many social groups in this particular area. Like, you have to be connected. You have to know somebody who knows somebody so that you can get invited to, like, a house party or something. And that's how you would connect with somebody. Otherwise, you're going to the bar or the club. And if you don't have the social skills, which at the time I did not, to just walk up to somebody and say, hey, and just try to, like, you know, strike up a conversation. If you don't have all that, it's, like, really intimidating and really hard to make friends in that kind of a situation. Yeah. So I think that that was, that was a big part of the struggle for me. And also just, you know, I'm, I'm a suburbanite kid. I'm not from the hood. You know the U.S. You know how, it's, how we're kind of situated here. Mixing with different, I guess, subcultures within our community, mm-hmm. it can be a little bit difficult because people will, like you said, assume certain things or assume that you're not really with us. Or they could look at me and think that I'm assuming something of them because I'm a little bit snooty. I'm a little bit bougie. (laughs) I will admit it. I'm a little bougie, but I'm not snobby. I'm not like better than, you know what I'm saying? So so it's like you kind of have to work past those things. I mean, we know within the Black community, or I should say me, it's like, because I've heard bougie and I know a lot of times it's not meant as a compliment. Right. Yeah. Just over time, being able to stand and say this is who I am. And if you like it, fine. And if you don't, that's okay too. Right. Right. And I found that because I'm not as obsessed as I used to be, like, please like me, that my um, energy has changed and I actually am finding my tribe or continuing to find my tribe. So, yeah. That's good. Yeah. I wanted to uh, backtrack just a bit. I have a background with graphic design and I wanted to say, I really like to look at your website and also your logo with the group of people, and then one of them has a heart. I'm like, oh, that's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I don't have a background. To get a compliment from you on that sounds great. Canva is amazing. <laughs> oh, that was Canva. Okay, yeah, because the co-color yeah. theme and that particular detail just really, yeah, inside I was just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So as a podcast host, somebody who has a public platform, 
how do you determine what you're going to share from your own life? As long as it's not going to blow up my life, because <laughs> I've had a couple of moments on the show where it's just like, oh, I have to deal with this for the next couple of weeks. And I don't like to do that kind of thing. But I try to be as open as I can because I feel like that's what's needed. You can't dance around issues. You kind of have to speak to things. Now, I won't put people on blast. I'm not throwing names out there. I'm not slamming anybody necessarily. I will talk about maybe some weird moments I had dating somebody or running into a certain person or something like that. But it's never, it's never to disparage that person. It's really just to talk about my feelings and how to work through issues and stuff like that in the moment. And really, like a lot of the the topics and stuff are created with kind of a message in mind when trying to make connections. We really have to focus on self-love. We have to focus on our confidence and being able to make the approach. I think one of the lines that I consistently use is stand back and get what you get and step up to get what you want. So that's one of those things. It's like, you're interested in somebody. You need to step up. You can't just wait for them to come to you all the time. Sometimes they'll come to you. Once you find somebody that you connect with, focusing on the things that you have that are similar to kind of grow the relationship. Mm -hmm. And lastly would be if somebody were to approach you, how do you handle that? Are you going to push them away and reject them immediately? Or are you going to be curious and see where this goes and see what happens. Even if this is somebody who you initially are like, I am really not interested in romantic. I'm not interested in friendship or anything with this person. They may still have something interesting to give you and you may be able to help them in some way or just kind of have a nice moment and just to know that you have the power to kind of exit the conversation in a nice way. So I really try to focus a lot of those topics on those like areas. Mm -hmm. With you being, are you sharing your perspectives and your experiences with dating and friendships? Have you found your friends off camera, off mic, or asking you more for advice? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I won't say, not the co-host necessarily, because everybody knows everything on (laughs) everybody who's on the mic pretty much like has that attitude. Not that they know everything. I'm just, I'm being funny. Like we're trying to grow that relationship. I've gotten some new co-hosts now. And so we're trying to reestablish that friendship connection and everything to the point where we can talk about those things off camera. Okay. I will have like my close friends who aren't on the show. We will have a lot of those deep conversations. They won't necessarily come to me for advice. It's not like, hey, Jared, I just wanted to get your opinion on it. It's not quite like that. It's like, we'll we'll discuss what we're going through. I'll, I'll ask what they're going through. And I'll be like, all right, you know you need to drop him, right? Like, you know, you, know, you need to just cut and run, please abort. <laughs> you know, like I will give my advice and I will ask them, you know, what do you think about this? So there's an exchange for sure. I don't think I've gotten guru status where they just come up to me and just like, hey, can you give me your wisdom, a wise one on this situation, though. It's not It's not quite like that. Not yet, anyway. I don't know. And I think if I ever got to that point, I'd be like, uh, you need to go to somebody else for this. I'm just, I'm, I'm just your friend, you know? So, I don't know. 
You mentioned your co-hosts, Renee, Noel, and Mike. Did you know them before you started working together? I knew Renee. We used to work together. And then Noel actually used to be the chef at my job. Okay. I knew those two previously. Mike, I did not know previously. Mike, I met through TikTok. I was looking for new co-hosts and I was looking at his TikToks and stuff and I thought he had a really cool personality. And so I invited him to be a part of the show as well. We hung out a couple times. He has a great personality as well. So I'm excited for our next recording when he can join us. You're looking forward to kind of having us all there at the table. Now, you, you know, you talked about like you have a multi-ethnic and multi-gender panel. How has the reception been for that? I'm not asking for negatives necessarily, but how has the overall reception been to that? So far, it's been good. I think it has been positive. I think with my first run of the podcast, I had three other guys. So there was like two other Black guys, and then there was one Asian guy that we had on the cast. The reception has been positive. I'm trying to, you know, with this next one, try to broaden it out a little bit more. So Noel, of course, is Latino, and then we have Mike, who's white, and then myself, of course, and Renee, who's Puerto Rican slash Black as well. Hmm. It's been positive. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what the reaction will be when we get Mike on the show. I feel like people will be receptive to what we all bring to the show. How do you work with those people who are... Um maybe not being as constructive with their input. So, you know, I am practicing being empathetic. There are a lot of people that I watch online that tell you to just not be bothered by the comments or maybe answer all your comments and be empathetic. You know, there's something in them that they felt like they needed to just say something nasty online. And so, you know, you still answer with a level of empathy or something like that. It's hard to do. And I was never one for going back and forth with somebody online. So nine times out of 10, I'll try to answer in the most professional way that I can. If I feel like it's going to go to a negative place, or if I feel like the comment is too negative, or just like blatantly racist or homophobic or something like that, I'll just delete the comment. That's kind of how I, I've dealt with it. And many times, if I feel like the comments are just too tough, I just ignore them. <laughs> okay. The thing is, you have to be able to know what you personally can deal with when it comes to that. You know, I'm, I'm happy to get all of the views and to get people talking, but at the same time, there is a limit on how much I can handle and I just have to be aware of that. Now you're one of the brains and one of the people in front of the camera. Are you also part of the production? Yes, I am currently self-producing. I'm the only one producing. And it's been difficult to constantly have to edit. I enjoy editing a little bit. Once I get into it, I can kind of enjoy it, but I would much rather be just in front of the camera and, <laughs> and just giving my opinions and fostering the conversation. I'm happy with where we are. I'm looking forward to increasing the quality of the show, and hopefully I can do that soon. I can relate to the production. I'm doing everything 
I did have some background in editing, but doing this particular type of show, it's like, you know, you can never explain to someone how much work goes on behind the scenes to yeah. create something that for them may be an hour or so. It's like that took a while to do. <laughs> it hurts when somebody says something negative. I don't know if you've gotten negative comments or anything that was slightly off for you, but you know, when people would say something about like the production of the show and I'm like, it's just me at this point And I am not at the moment, not making any money off of this. So it's like, I can't really put a whole lot into it working with what I got, but not everybody understands that. Not everybody understands all of the hours that you're putting into it. Well, understanding what you're doing and seeing a few of your episodes from a couple of years ago, I definitely saw the growth. That was like right away. I was like, oh my God, seeing what you're doing now and then seeing then it's like lighting, you know, camera angles, all that stuff that if I think about it, when we think of celebrities and we see old footage of them, like, oh my God, look at them. And she didn't even know that this was her angle because I'm doing the same thing. And I have to tell myself that I have to start it and then I'll grow from there because for me, especially doing stuff on camera was something I was absolutely against two years ago. Now I can look at myself a bit more objectively and say, oh, okay, just do it. Don't judge it as much as I can. And then it'll progress after that. But I definitely saw that with where you started and where you're at now. So I would say, yeah, great job. Wow, oh, awesome. Well, thank you. I'm glad you you noticed some some growth. I would just say like to anybody else that's like trying to do something like this and trying to do something creative, you really just have to start. You can't worry about making it perfect on the get-go. You'll perfect it as you go. You live and then you learn and then you, you just make it better. With this particular platform, where would you like it to transition to? Uh, of course, you know, we want these to grow, but um, where would you like it to transition to? I mean, I guess I would really love it if I could, I don't know, I think really at the end of the day, I want as many people to enjoy it and to see it as possible. So whether that is something that is well-sponsored and something that is TV show quality, I would appreciate that. You know, I would absolutely be open to selling it, maybe not selling it completely, but like still maintaining some ownership, but at least giving it to like a Spotify exclusive type of thing. Even if it's like, you know how Netflix will have those podcasty talk shows or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's like big dream stuff at the end of the rainbow. But I'm happy to just continue to have it grow. I would like to do some events where we kind of put into practice a lot of the stuff that we talk about on the podcast. So getting a lot of people together and creating a safe space so that everybody can mingle and talk and have fun and make these new connections. Mm -hmm. So I would like to do that. And maybe another book, maybe a course on how to connect with people. It's all a part of the plan. We'll see what, what comes of it, though. You've published two novels in addition to this. Yeah. Can you share about your two novels? Yes. So the first book that I wrote was Pangea, Unsettled Land, and that was a fantasy novel. This is back in 2016 that I published it. It's about a young, it's like a college student who is supposed to work for the queen after he graduates. 
And he doesn't want to do that. And then a handsome warrior talks about this ancient mythical sword that's said to have brought magic to the world. And so they team up together and they come across mythical creatures and the evil queen who kind of wants to take over the world. And then the second book is more of like a prequel. And that's the Octorati where it centers around this vigilante group. Basically, it just centers around that group and how they formed and how they are dealing with this oppressive governmental figure and this threat that's kind of destroying the city. Mm. You know, I've always loved fantasy and sci-fi. Hopefully at some point I can get back to that book I was writing in 2020 and get past the writer's block because I think it's a really interesting idea. How long did it take you to write the first book? I had the idea for a few years and I had been bit by bit kind of throwing little pieces, throwing ideas around. And then once I actually sat down to write it, it took about eight months. And that was just consistently getting back to there every day. Just if I could write 1500 words, fantastic. If I could only write two the next day, then okay. You just kind of have to keep typing something when <laughs> when you open the computer, you know? So, so yeah, that's, that's about as long as it took. Author, podcaster, <laughs> working full time. <laughs> A lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you're not doing any of that, how do you unwind? I think like, I would say primarily it's like just finding something on TV to watch or playing a video game. I love video games. I'm part of a tennis group now. So I play tennis. You know, I like going out with my friends. So that is always a positive. I love to go out to eat. I love to go into a nice restaurant or something like that. If I'm not being like super creative with the podcast, I'm being creative in other ways. Like I'm trying to learn Spanish now. I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn Spanish now. So we'll, we'll see how quickly I can be conversational. But yeah, I'm always just finding something else to do. Always evolving and growing, it sounds like. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I like your energy. I just have to say that. Thank you. <laughs> I like yours too. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just really glad that you agreed to come onto this platform. And again, as I said, I, I discovered you uh, pretty much when I started, or I was committed to doing this. So it's just really great to connect with a fellow in this arena and also just to hear how you are challenging yourself to grow not only in your personal life, but also in your professional life. I am so grateful for you inviting me. Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation that we had. You know, I wish you the best with this platform. And, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what other conversations you have as well. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Same here. Any final thoughts or insights? I think if there was anything that I was going to leave anybody with, it would be don't shut yourself off from people. There's a danger in being isolated for us, for Black gay men and just like gay men in general, to kind of isolate or kind of be like, kind of shut ourselves off from other people. It's just been hard. It's been hard to fit in. It's been hard to find our place sometimes. My ask is that you push through that. Try to find that one person that you connect with. 
find some other people through them and try to create a little bit of a nexus for yourself, a little bit of a circle, even if it's just one or two, even if it's two other people, that can really enhance your life. And I mean, I'm telling you this from personal experience, relationships is really kind of like everything. We need human interaction to survive. And I promise that you will be able to enhance your life if you keep trying. Where can we follow you online? So you can follow me at Jared D. King on Instagram and TikTok. And you can also follow the Boyfriends podcast. That's at Boyfriends Pod on Instagram. And you can also go to the Boyfriends website. That's BoyfriendsPod.com. You'll see all the new episodes and you'll be able to follow the podcast and find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Look for boyfriends. It's just one word, boyfriends. So uh, you'll be able to find us there. Cool. Thank you. And I'll make sure to share that on all social media. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time.